please turn in your Bibles to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. We are in verses 12 through 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 12 through 14. We will pray that the Lord will help us and then we will read the word of God. Father, thank you, Lord, for the redemption of our souls. As the hymnist wrote, wretched men we are. Father, may we hear and be grateful in this season, in this day, in this moment that you have graced us with. And even, Father, with the testimony of our conscience. Father, help us. Help us to stay humble before you and you alone. Father, I just ask your word would go forth this day in power and majesty of your spirit we who have ears would hear we who have eyes to see would see and father if there be darkened hearts may they come to the light this day in Christ Christ alone amen verse 12 chapter 1 2nd Corinthians for our proud confidence is this the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. This is an amazing text. I don't care how you cut it. And the Apostle Paul is writing, and I basically, if you summarize this whole thing, I call it ministry and beware. (laughs) Um, And the reason that we spent so long in 1 Corinthians was that if you do not deal with your own personal holiness, you do not need to deal with 2 Corinthians because 2 Corinthians is the battle. I mean, uh, uh, we are complete in Christ. Um, You may not believe it. You may not even act like it, but it still doesn't make it not true. And one of the issues is, is that your flesh at times will immerse into the teaching of God's word and it becomes a conflict and you will try to merge the two together. And that's what the church in Corinth was doing. And the Apostle Paul here has come back after many years. And, and in that process, there has any time you lay a foundation of truth, when you teach, thus saith the Lord. All right. When you move away from that, there is the potential at that time for deception to come in and the flesh to rise up. See, one of the things about deception is this. It appeals to the flesh. Okay? It feels good. It feels right. And if you've got some theology and you start bringing it in, it will grow. It will grow. And so we spent that time in 1 Corinthians so that we could move into 2 Corinthians. And what was happening in 2 Corinthians is... Paul, this is literally the fourth letter, 
that he has written that we know of. All right, we have two God-breathed letters, and there was one written before 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, then there was another letter that is called the severe letter, and then you have this letter, 2 Corinthians. This letter exposes the heart, the heart of the Apostle Paul. And that's what we're we're dealing with right now because what he deals with in verses 12 through 14 is of vital importance to you and I. Um, I, I have laid out over these last few weeks that the highest court in all of humanity is your conscience and my conscience. All right? And our conscience operates on the level that it has been given information. All right? And that information is basically right and wrong. Last week I shared with you that the Greeks had an idea of conscience. And they called conscience a goddess. And they gave her a name. Nemesis. And, and, and I've seen pictures, I, I've seen a picture in a, in a museum in Moscow where this man was running in absolute terror. And behind him was the goddess Nemesis. Because see, here's one of the amazing things about your conscience. Where will you go to get rid of it? Where do you flee that your conscience isn't speaking to you? And your conscience can exalt you or your conscience can condemn you. It can acquit you or convict you. And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about and is talking about in this. And and basically, he pulls it down to three categories. If you are in the ministry, please hear me. And I will say this with as much love as I can. If you are in the ministry... And what I mean by that, no, I don't, I don't mean that you're a professional. If you're saved, guess what? You're in the ministry. All right? If you're in the ministry, you will be attacked. Okay? Please understand that. And if you're not attacked, you've either surrendered, been taken prisoner... Or refuse to fight. It's one of those three. When you are attacked, it will come in three categories. One I have listed here is the morals. Your moral standing. How are you doing? Okay. Basically what happens is, and we'll deal with it in depth, what happens in this text is you will see that the Apostle Paul, they were accusing the Apostle Paul of peddling a gospel of grace for sexual favors. And he says, testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, and it's not from fleshly wisdom. See, Paul could have got him a whole bunch of people, a bunch of converts. And said, well, talk to Timothy, or talk to Titus, or talk to Silas, or talk to Chloe, or talk to Chloe's family. Well, wait a minute. Talk to how many people in the church in Corinth? But he didn't. He goes to the highest appeals court known to humanity, and that is the human conscience. And he says, my conscience is holy and in godly sincerity. And I'm confident in it. All right. That confidence, bold confidence, proud confidence, depending on your translation, it has to do with what God has done through me. 
Okay, there's two kinds of, of boasting in the Bible. One is, look what I did. You can go read the history of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, the other is, look what God did. All right? So he says, you know what? My conscience is clear as far as personal sin. Personal sin. And they will attack you. All right? And let me tell you something. It will come from within the church. I'm not talking about, you know, people running around and saying, well, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Or you should. I'm talking about the body of Christ at times will attack you. Why? Because Jesus said that the kingdom of God will be sown with wheat and tares. Okay? And I, and I, we get frustrated. I've, I've seen people who have labored and, and, and you have to ask yourself, do not grow weary of doing good. You know what that means? There's a possibility of doing, growing weary of doing good. Right? And, and, and you can see that there will come a time when men will not hear to sound words. Alright? But they will heap to themselves, teacher, that tickle their ears. Boy, if we're not in that right now, I don't, oh. How bad is it going? Never mind. We don't want to go. How bad can it get? <laughs> Never mind. I, I read the end of the book. Okay. But, but I share that with it. So what, what I, he deals with now in verses 13 through the first part of 14, we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us. Stop right there. Okay. Because now he's going to deal with relationships. Okay. Because once you deal with your own heart before your conscience, deal with your relationships with your own conscience. And you hear this all the time. Okay? It's all over the place. Um, we have to have relationships. Uh, and, and, that, and, and you can't just have like uh, potlucks. That is not the relationships he's talking about. He's talking about relationships of accountability. Accountability. And if you think about it, what is the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all peoples. Right? Why? That in and of itself produces accountability. The accountability is already there. If you're going to grow spiritually, you you need and you have to have some kind of discipling partnership. I don't care who you are. It has to be there. You know, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembly together, which is the habit of some. Why does he say that? Because it's a habit of some to forsake the assembly together. And when they do that, you know what they do? They cut off accountability. See, when I, I, we get people who say, well, I'd like to be a part of your church. And when we meet with them, one of the things we discuss is that we are accountable to you and you are accountable to us. All right. It doesn't mean I'm going to track you down and hunt you down like a dog. Okay. Listen, I don't. People say, well, you're a church leader. I'm a brother in Christ. My responsibility in the body of Christ is a little different than some. And all I ask, I ain't your leader. Christ is your leader. I just ask you to walk with me. That's all I'm asking. And that's all Paul asked. That's all Peter asked. That's all John asked. And Jesus said, just follow me. See, I don't want you to follow me. That means I'm first. I don't want to be out front. I want to be shoulder to shoulder. 
someone, when I, th- I think about accountability, when I think about discipleship, it's someone who comes alongside and holds us accountable. And we walk together. And I got people said, well, do you ever do one-on-one discipleship? No. Why? You ain't got time. It's that simple. I know you ain't got time. Because if you had time, then I would see you all the time. And you don't have it. Because you know what? I've learned that my life, you know what I'm doing? I'm making disciples. When? All the time. Sometimes it's in a Bible study. Sometimes in a checkout line at Walmart. I'm always making disciples. You never stop making... Or, um, Tuesday I do my discipleship class. Well, what do you do on Wednesday? Nothing. I'm a pagan. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you... you know, but, that's, but discipleship is a life. I mean, if you think about it, you're, I teach you theology not because I just got nothing to do. I teach you theology because I want it to be your life. And then if it's your life, then the action is seen. And how does that, and you know what, there's times you're going to read something, you go, I don't know how that works. And you can ask a brother or sister in Christ, how does that work? How does that look? There is a certain level of conduct that Scripture shows us and guides us and the Holy Spirit strengthens us for. It's a certain level of behavior. Uh, and it's more than just that because that's religion. Okay? I'm, one of the things that I have tried to pay attention to is the attitude. See, I know people who can do right and are mad about it. Well, there ain't nothing good about that. All right. The things I do is because it's my attitude that says this is the way I'm supposed to be, period. See, now I agree that there is a need for this accountability, partnerships. However you have to step into it is is fine. But, you know, one of the ones that I have always learned is your spouse is probably as good as it gets. As accountability. Right? Um, They should know. (laughs) They should know um, best what is your strength and and what is your weakness. They should know um, be the thing that strengthens you spiritually. That's why I try to explain to men. God doesn't say, please be the spiritual guide. God says, you are. All right. And, and, and I, I, this is a tragedy that's in the body of Christ today. Uh, and, and it's everywhere. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've taught in England. I've taught in Russia. I've spoken in Israel and all the rest of it. And men ain't taking up their role. Um, they will stand before God in that. I don't have to worry about it. Because spiritual condition of the globe is based on the lack of spiritual guidance for men. And I, I will fight to the tooth on that one because just watch. And it isn't a matter, well, the woman, you know, have you ever noticed couples? One's a talker, one ain't. You ever, you ever notice that? I mean, and it may be the man and the woman's quiet or the woman's a talker and the man isn't. Okay, that is not 
the key to spiritual guidance. Um, in my family, uh, I'm not the talker. Okay, but when it comes to spiritual things, you say something stupid, I will tell you. And I will muster as much love as I can, and you better hope I've had some coffee. Because <laughs> if not, I'll just say, well, that was stupid. <laughs> or, now, dear, I'm thinking maybe. Okay, that's after coffee. All right. Sometimes. <clears throat> I think that the relationship between a husband and a wife, when we all talk about the two shall become one, uh, 99.8% of people, I just made that number up, anyway, believe that the two shall become one is the physical relationship. I believe that is silly. I believe that the two shall become one is the spiritual side of the relationship. And And I tell people this, that there is nothing more intimate that you will ever do with your wife than pray with her. Period. I mean, if you understand what prayer is and where you're going to do it, you will understand uh, what will you hide in that room? Okay, and you pray with your wife. uh, How vulnerable are you? I'm only in the throne room of God who knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Other than that, I'm not vulnerable. (laughs) And when I, I think about accountability... In human beings, there is no greater than your spouse because that's the spiritual side. They know you. They know you. They are around you the most. They understand with an intimacy your strengths and an intimacy your weaknesses. Okay? And I mean, you know, when I think about it, my wife, I, she has a ridiculously high standard for me. Well, she does. She believes I should live everything I preach. I just don't know where she gets that from. And, and, and she holds me to it. I mean, she wonders, she said, well, why do you like to be alone? Now she knows. Okay. So anytime that my wife is around me, the demand is before my eyes. All right. But there is a greater. There isn't a greater accountability than your spouse. Okay? I have the testimony of my conscience. What is my conscience? See, my conscience knows things about me that my wife will never know. (laughs) And I'll keep it that way. Okay? Because... Your conscience will always bear witness to you. It will always bring evidence to you. It will always give testimony to you. The Apostle Paul here is appealing to the highest level. He doesn't deal with other people at all. He says, I will go to the testimony of my conscience. See, you can fool anybody. But you cannot fool your conscience. And you can go to court, and it's like, I know none of you have ever been to court. I have. And when you go to court, they always tell you to plead not guilty. And you know, every time I've been to court, every time I've been to court, I'm guilty. All right? And they say, well, plead not guilty. But I'm guilty. But then, well, plead to something else. Okay, temporary insanity. 
But do you realize that? You see how silly that is? And even if you go to court and you plead not guilty and the judge throws his case out on a technicality, what does your conscience say? Still guilty. You just got away, dude. So, if we listen to conscience, do we listen to conscience when nobody's there? See, the conscience knows what no one else can know. Okay? And one of the things that I have learned is that if you wound your conscience, you will have no greater aggressor in your life than the retaliation of that wounded conscience. Okay? Now, it doesn't mean if I wound your conscience. I'm talking about my conscience and what my standard is. If I wound my standard, what God has shown me through the light of His Word, I will have no greater foe on the planet Earth than my conscience telling me, I don't think so. And yet I read this letter here and I just, in this little section, and I look at it and Paul says, my conscience exonerates me. That's good. Ain't that good? Most of the times if you talk to people about their conscience, what do they think? Bummer. <laughs> Me and my conscience don't get along. <laughs> I, I believe a lot of the stuff that you see, what we call addictions, and it seems like we have a new one daily, is basically a way for people to appease their conscience. You know, well, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a heroin addict, or I'm a this, or I'm that. And you just sit there and go, well, wait a minute. You're just trying to make your conscience shut up. See, Paul says here, my confidence, my bold confidence, my proud confidence is in my conscience. See, he lived, and we will see this a lot in this letter. He lived very, very, very sensitive to his conscience. Paul was in a constant state of attack. Any accusation. You ever thought about Paul? Paul was raised a Pharisee. Okay. That is the religious hierarchy. You just don't get better than that. Okay. And he was so good at being a Pharisee that they would give him letters of arrest. All right. To go rest the people of the Christian faith. He was there holding the coats in affirmation of those who stoned Stephen. All right? He comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Right? All right, now all these people in the hierarchy of religious Jews hate him. And now he steps into what? The relatives of Stephen. All the people, the men and women that he had arrested, had tormented and had chased. So now you got a man who stands where? 
I mean, you talk about being alone. They, Barnabas finally got, got a hold of him in, in Turkey, drug him down here and says, look, and you know that the brethren in Jerusalem are going, you brought Paul here? Uh, what were you thinking? Well, he's been changed. Well, how do I know that? See what I'm trying to get at? And yet the Apostle Paul, you would ha- he would have Christians who would not trust him. He would have the Jews who hated him. He didn't have anybody. And yet he could say and say, you know what? My conscience is fine. And he didn't care about the accusations. The other accusations were of no matter to him. My conscience is fine. When you think about all the people preparing to indict Paul, they were all low courts. And all the low courts found him guilty. And yet he could stand and say, his conscience was fine. He wrote Timothy, Second Timothy, and he makes statements in there. He claimed that his conscience was clear. Do you know where he was when he wrote that? Mamatine prison. He was in a hole in the ground preparing to have his head removed because the low court had indicted him. He says, there's no worries. My conscience is fine. He was perfectly at peace. Listen, it is easy to spot somebody whose conscience is fine. Because regardless of what's going on and around them, guess what? Nothing moves them. Nothing's frantic. They're not anxious. Be anxious for nothing. How do I do that? Well, you rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And through prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. All right, what did you just do there? Rejoice comes from a clear conscience. All right, and if I make my supplications before God, it's coming from a clear conscience. Therefore, you will be anxious for nothing. See how it all works? Perfectly at peace. Why? Because if you're honest with yourself this day, you know that your conscience knows the absolute truth. Period. Okay? Paul makes a statement here. Not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves. We write nothing else to you. All right? You you understand that? Why? I'm just cutting it straight. Here's what it is. Have godly sincerity. What I'm saying is because of my sincerity before a holy God. All right? This text sometimes gets confusing because he says, for we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end, just as you partially did understand us. And you're sitting there going, what? Oh, maybe you didn't. But when I read it a couple of times, you go, huh? I don't, I don't want him saying here. Okay. Literal translation. Okay. You have a word there in the New American Standard that says understand. Okay. It's onagnosis and epinosis. Oh, I feel better now. Okay. 
And basically, if you really wanted to literally translate this, what you've taken up in your deep knowledge is the first phrase. Okay, but then he says, you have read. All right, and you understand. The word understand there, just think of knowledge. If you think about it, that makes sense, right? You understand something, then it is knowledge. Basically, what gets confusing about translating this text is you have these two forms of gnosis, and then they hang a preposition on the front of each of them. And that is why you see the translation comes out, understand. All right. But what he's saying is, all right, we write nothing else to you than what you read and you have a deep knowledge of. And I hope you will grow in your knowledge is basically what he's saying. All right. Um, We write nothing else. And I hope you will grow deeper. All right. Um, Understanding, and it's funny because it says, until the end. Well, that's the second coming of Jesus. No, it ain't. <laughs> I know everybody wants it to be, but that ain't what the text says. The text says, to teleos. Okay, and to teleos means completion, perfection. All right, so I want you to know, here's what you know now, you understand, but I want you to get deeper in your knowledge until it is a complete package deal. Okay, this is an amazing testimony if you think about the Apostle Paul because he's still in the, in the flow of thought of the testimony of our conscience is, is that in holiness of God's only sincerity and not in fleshly wisdom, but it is by the grace of God. What? That you know and I want you to know deeply to its perfection. You know, one of the things I was learned a long time ago is try to exhaust the text. If you look at the book of Romans, Romans, Paul takes every argument that would come and he takes the argument for 360 degrees and defeats it. I mean, just go through it and watch it. Um, they used to teach it as the legal precedence at um, Harvard Law School. If you wanted to argue a case, take the book of Romans and watch how Paul takes all 360 degrees of every argument that would come against his point and he defeats it. <laughs> and you sit there and go, whoa. All right. And they've tell, told me, they said, if you're going to take a text of scripture and you're going to preach it, give it 360 degrees and show it. That's exposition. Explain it. What Paul is being accused of is was Paul using people for selfish motives? That's the argument. OK, was he faking his love? Hey, it's like this. If if you ever end up in the pastorate, you will have people who will come and visit you. I guarantee it. And they will enter into your office and the first words out of their mouth will be, I want you to know that I love you. Okay, which means they're getting ready to assault you. Okay, but they're going to do it in love. All right. And, and I don't even know how many times that I've, okay, here we go. Okay, boy, I feel the love. All right. And one of the things that happens is, is that people will take this and they'll say, well, one of the accusations is, is, you know, well, you didn't call me. So how can you love me? 
Or, or you didn't contact me, so how did you, you know, you didn't send me a birthday card or you didn't send me a Christmas card. Uh, or You know, I don't send nobody Christmas cards. Okay, well, does that mean I don't love nobody? I don't even send my mommy a Christmas card. All right, do you, do you see what I'm trying to get at? And, 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 and I, I watched some of this. Look, look what he says in chapter 7, verse 2. See, people say, well, Terry, you're just implying something here. Really? Okay. Make room for us in your hearts. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. And we took advantage of no one. You know what the implication of that is? Someone says they wronged him. Someone says they were trying to corrupt him. And someone says that they were taking advantage of us. Go to chapter 11, verse 9. Chapter 11, verse 9. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my needs. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. You know what they're saying, right? Paul's in it for the cash. He says, no, man. I've never asked for a nickel from you guys. I remember uh, Criswell published a whole bunch of books and taken a little bitty fellowship in Dallas, Texas and grew it to about 25,000, 30,000 uh, people faithful attenders and uh, when he got ready to retire i mean he'd been preaching him and moses had taken the pulpit at the same time um, when he was getting ready to retire people started murmuring saying that he just did this so he could publish books and make money okay and the word got back to criswell that there were people in the church who were saying that he had served this body faithfully for all of these years because he did it for the money his last day at the pulpit, he wrote the church a check for his salary for 45 years. He says, I want you to know I didn't do it for the money. Okay? That's a man with a clear conscience. Not a lot of money. No. <laughs> he says, I'm not a burden. When I was in your midst, I had needs. And you know what? I never asked. I never asked. When we do our budget meetings, um, when it comes to my salary, I leave. I have absolutely no input on my salary. None whatsoever. Well, that's not true. We got kind of in a financial bind, and I went in and took part of it out. And said, I don't want this. Keep it. But I don't put it in. Why? <clears throat> Is he faithful? Will he meet my needs? Okay. So when it comes to my salary, I, I'm not a part of it. Not a part of it. See, Paul never took advantage of you. And that was the verdict of his conscience. See, his conscience is affirming what he wrote. See, what he's telling you and I here in this text in chapter 1 is that, you know what? We write nothing else to you. And, and I want to deal with this. We said nothing more than what you understood. We gave you the information for what you understood. And we hope you will understand it completely. Until the end. What's the end? Completion. To teleos. See, just as you 
practically understand what he is saying. And, and you know, it's funny because we are in a day and an age now that is just insane. Um, there's a whole industry has sprung up to explain to us what they're saying. Have you ever noticed that? I, I mean, you just, what? And, and, and you hear people make a statement and then you get like a week of people explaining to you what the person said. And it probably wasn't what you heard them say. What he's saying here, um, there is no hidden agenda. Um, there is no secret. Uh, there is no self-interest. There is no other issue. There's nothing more on my heart than what I have already said. This is one that gets me into trouble because we had a group here a number of years ago who left because of what they thought I said. Here's a, I hate to disappoint you people. I am not that smart. When I say it, that's what I mean. Okay, and I don't care what you want to dress it up as. I don't care what you want to imply it as. But what I say is what I mean. And the Apostle Paul is saying, what we have said, what we have written you, is what we have written you, is what we have said. And we're in a day and an age where, well, what I think he meant was, no. When I say it, I mean when I say there's no agenda. The Apostle Paul is saying, there's nothing here. This is it. Nothing more. When I was with you, he says, I spoke this. When I wrote you, I wrote this. You know what? When I spoke it, you understood it. When I wrote it, you understood it. Why are you so confused by it now? And that's... That's one of the things that I see. I see people do it with the biblical interpretation. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, read the context. It's not difficult. You think I'm wrong. Two or more gathered together. There I am in his midst. What is that? It's prayer. Ask anybody. You know what? No, it isn't. I got news for you. I can be the last man on the planet earth or living on the moon and I pray he's there. I don't have to have somebody else there. And if you look at it, it comes out of Matthew 18 and it deals with church discipline. If you kick somebody out of the church and you are in agreement that that person needs to be removed from the church, guess what? I'm there. But what did he mean by it? I don't know. (laughs) But I see this all over the place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then there was evolution in between verses 1 and (laughs) 2. Really? How did you do that? Well, just look around. No, it ain't the way it works. Paul says, you know what? There's nothing more than what you understand. That's the first gnosis, onanosis. The second one is epinosis. Take the onanosis, let it grow so it is a deeper knowledge. And he's teaching theology. I stand at the door and knock. He who opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with them. Okay, how many of you have heard that is how you get saved? 
It's a salvation invitation. Well, I hate to break the news to you. It's not. Those are Jesus' words. If you don't believe me, go look. See in a red letter Bible. Okay? And he's speaking to who? The church. The church of Laodicea. And he says, you guys have gotten so complacent. You don't even know who I am. It's like I'm outside. All right. Read your context. And guess what? It means what it says. All right. And I watch people struggle with it. And and it's I've never had any problem with it. It's have you ever heard the two illustrations? One is a guy was walking through a field. Jesus is using them as parables. Okay, and guy's walking through a field and he finds a buried treasure. And he runs and sells everything that he can sell so he can buy that field so he can have that treasure. Okay? And then you see the one where the person finds a pearl of great price. And they sell everything you can get. All right? And he buys this great pearl. All right? And everybody says... You can buy your way into the kingdom. (laughs) You're like, well, no, not exactly. (laughs) All right. What he's saying is there are those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven who are looking for it. There are those who will enter into the kingdom of heaven who are just wandering around in a field and found it. That isn't that complicated. And yet I've heard some really goofy sermons come out of both of those. And all I look at and say, you know what? You don't read your context. Paul says, I want you to take up what you have and go deeper with what you have. You know what we wrote. It was always clear. It was always straightforward. It was always consistent. It was always genuine. It was always transparent. And leave it at that. It's not fair. I think he's has a hidden agenda. He's saying one thing. He means another. Really? You think that's what it is? Go to chapter 10, verse 11. Let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters, when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. You know, they act really godly when they're around you. And then when they leave, they, they don't. Such a person, consider this. He says, consider this. I am bringing this to bear on, on, on you, and I want you to think about this. Go to verse 14. We are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. All right, what he's telling you there, whether I'm absent or present, what I say in this letter is done exactly as I did when I was with you. Nothing has changed. What I'll be to you in your presence is what I'll be to you absent from you in this case, writing a letter. He's already made the statement argument in chapter one. What we're looking at that in the world or in you, what my conscience is clear. There's nothing hidden here. And, and, and it, gosh, it drives me nuts today when I hear people make a statement 
I mean, I mean, I don't even care if it's silly. But they meant what they said. And then you get all this line of people trying to explain it. And that is the, that is fallen man. <laughs> what, what can I say? And I think maybe that, that is one of my, perhaps my shortcoming in my society today. I mean what I say and it drives people nuts. Uh, as my wife would tell you, that he just doesn't beat around the bush. Why? Everybody else is. <laughs> you guys are wearing out bushes. I'm trying to save some. See, our society, mankind, it's nothing new. If you really think about it, that's why Paul's making this argument here. In my relationships, there's nothing hidden. What I said is what I said. What I did is what I did. It hasn't changed whether I'm in your presence. It doesn't change whether I'm just writing you a letter. And that's what he's telling everybody. Verse 14, you did partially understand it. See there? Just as you partially did understand us. Okay. See, I taught you. I wrote you. You read it. You understand what I said. You understood what you were hearing from me when I taught you. Now, understand fully. Understand completely. To teleos. Complete it. Look at it. See, what happens is, if you're going to attack a man's doctrine, you have to make him say something other than what his doctrine said. That will come next week. See, Paul says, I was practical. I explained it. There was... There was more to reveal. Absolutely. He was only there for 18 months. And I've written you more. And I've said more. And you've gotten more information. And it's unfolded. And you continue to understand. And I hope you will understand from what you do partially. I hope you will grow in your understanding. Okay, it's like this simple statement. I can teach you right now. To never, ever have a disagreement or an argument never, ever again with nobody. Believers are lost. I can do it. Consider others more important than yourself. Anybody here understand that? Do you understand that to its perfection? That's an amazing text. Try it. Because when Jesus came, because it's in the analogy out of Philippians, where he's comparing the ultimates of Christ. And he said, you consider others more important than yourself. Think about this. How important is Christ? And he considered what more important? He considered everything and everybody more important than him. Self and his deeds proved it. Okay, now then, you know what that means, right? Just go be a follower of Christ. Yay. <laughs> and everybody's like, I'm glad I heard that. Way to start my year. <laughs> See, he wants them to understand perfectly. You know, one of the things is, is that I would, I have run into people who had very little Bible knowledge. 
And yet what knowledge they had was so firm in them that nothing was going to sway them. One of the things that I've experienced in this church as long as I've been here uh, is that there's a lot of people who have either been through or may even be here today who have a lot of Bible knowledge, but it is my knowledge. It ain't theirs. Okay, it's like your kids. If you got if you have children, you know what I'm about to say. You can have a faith. Your children can be raised in the faith, but they don't have your faith. Okay, because they just got a whole bunch of information. Right. And until that information uh, (laughs) stands up and whips them. That they need to understand it. It ain't in then that will they trust it. Okay. And, and you know, it's like I was talking this morning that because of the kindness of God should bring you to repentance. Anybody ever seen that happen? I ain't. It's usually you have to crush it and then they come to repentance. Right? I don't know. Maybe you've run into greater people but through kindness i haven't seen anybody come to salvation through kindness the kindness of god will bring you to repentance another writer romans paul says hey it's because of stubbornness of your heart (laughs) and i was in there going hey yeah okay we come to different points in our lives where things that we have learned intellectually all of a sudden become a confidence, uh, a salve to our conscience. I I remember talking to a dear pastor friend of mine. He says, getting people to hear the word of God is simple. I was like, really? He says, oh, yeah. He says, the problem is getting it from here to here. To get it from their thinking processes to their heart. He says, there you have to have divine intervention. Paul is telling the church in Corinth that my relationship to you is that honest. I want you to have the deep knowledge of what the Lord says to you. And I want you to know that's all, folks. That's it. You ever thought about that? We want our children to have lives better than us or, you know, bigger houses or faster cars. Ah, they ain't going to get faster. I've seen them drive. Um, <laughs> let's think of something else. But we want them to have better than what we had. Here's the thing the Apostle Paul says. The only thing that I have a heart's passion for is that your knowledge of the Lord is deeper. And that's it. I'm not looking for anything else. I'm not looking for handouts. I'm not, I'm not even looking for you to pay my traveling expenses. I just want you to understand that I write what I say and that's it. And my relationship to you is that honest. I have no agenda. I'm not in it for the money. I'm not in it for the favors. And I don't want anything. Except you understand fully everything I've written and said to you. That's it. That's pretty good. Here's what 
what's amazing. Paul in this text here, he says, verse 14, you partially did understand us. Why? Because I hope you will understand us until it's complete, until it's perfection, until it's full. Why? That's it. It's I've given you everything. That's all I said and that's all I meant to say. Listen, that's a bold testimony. I don't care how you cut it. That's his conscience. His conscience was clear. I have no motives. His conscience was clear. He wasn't saying, well, hey, you know, I'd hope for a love offering. Or, you know, how about you paying for my travel expenses? Nope. His testimony was clear with regards to his personal behavior. He, he was holy and godly sincerity in what he was saying. And he was so holy and godly in what he was saying. There was a boldness in his conscience. And his conscience gave witness, gave testimony that it's all right. He was pure. And all that he ever wanted was exactly what he had said. You ever thought about that? It's pretty good. We understand the truth. Do we understand the truth fully? That's all the Apostle Paul wanted. You know what? That's all I want. No matter what the critics say, no matter what the accusers say, no matter what indictments they bring across, guess what? I hope you will understand just as you partially did understand. And I hope you will grow in your, your knowledge. I hope you will grow in the depth of your understanding of what I have preached and what I have written. Because there's no agenda here. Okay? It's funny. <laughs> I see a lot of guys today who who teach and preach so that they have a venue to write books. Okay? You think I'm kidding? Go check out the Christian bookstore. Tell me I'm wrong. All right? But th- that's what they do it. And they say, well, I'm making an income. Well, that's great. All right. But when I think about it, the Apostle Paul has published more than any man or woman on the planet Earth has ever published. Okay, and you know what? It wasn't his intention. He just wanted people to know the Lord Jesus Christ and be bold in the confidence of their relationship with Jesus Christ. There you go. And we all thought it was so complicated. It's not. Mean what you say. And I pray that each of you will say the word of God and then it is unadulterated truth. Be diligent to present yourself a worker approved. Rightly dividing truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our brother Paul who followed a path that's set before us.
that was slayed and cut by our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we look at this in the soul's warning system, Father, please, please let each of us be sensitive and listen to our conscience. When our souls are warning us, please, Lord, let us heed that warning. Give us strength in the grace and mercy that only you have. Father, we who are called by your name, help us. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And Father, let our conscience be something that we hold in the utmost value. And we will cherish it. And we will guard it. And Father, we will not attack it or wound it. Thank you, Lord, for Paul. Thank you for drawing us this day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. To you and you alone. In Christ's name. Amen.